Adam Kornfeld. I'm at Artist Group International, AGI in New York, and I'm on Promoter 101. So how y'all doing? This is that Promoter 101 thingy with uh, W. Luke Pierce. You feeling all right, big guy? You should be because we have an awesome episode of this thingy coming up here. We've got the Executive Vice President and Chief Entertainment Officer of BSE, Brooklyn Sports Entertainment Global, where she oversees programming and marketing for the Barclays Center. Miss Lori Jacoby, a New York legend. She's also an Oregon duck, so she's got that in common with our host, Mr. Dan Steinberg. Plus, Barclays, the house Jay-Z builds. It's true. I once, at a Jay-Z concert, have him tell security to stand down, and everybody did. And then everybody stood up on the chairs and dumped beer everywhere. It was great. I was supposed to fly home that night and uh, I got wrangled into seeing Jay-Z, which I will never regret. It was a great show. Doug Edley wanted to see Jay-Z. And I think you goaded him and he goaded me. So I wound up having to ask the favor for a sold out show last second on like a Sunday night to pull a pair of tickets. It was awesome. And also we'll preview the first in-person live conference coming back after COVID. Polestar Live and Ray Waddell is here to talk about it and give us all the inside dirt. And he's even going to break some brand new news right here first on Promoter 101. All that and so much more. Promoter 101 episode 227 starts right now. Sam Perot from Gracia Life on Promoter 101. We don't know how you found out about us, but hell, we're glad you did. And if you've got something on your mind, a request, a topic, you want to know something like fun about us, maybe you want us to do a cameo for your friend. We won't charge you. What the hell? Email us at steiny at promoter101.net. That's steiny at promoter101.net. That'll find both of us. That's right. And of course, we're all over the internet. Come join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter. This show is at promoter101. I'm at W. Luke Pierce. Dan is at the Jew. And over on Instagram, the show's at Steiny Promoter 101. Dan's at Dan Presents. And I'm at W. Luke Pierce. And we're doing nothing on Clubhouse. So there's nothing more on Clubhouse to promote at this moment. So make sure you don't check us out on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is over, guys. Get off it. Clubhouse is done. It's over. We're caught. Time of death. Time of death. Six months. Sorry, Andreessen Horowitz. Should have taken the money when you got offered by Twitter. Hi, this is Dave Fry welcoming you to Promoter 101. I'm from Charlottesville, Virginia, Silent Partner Management. News of the week. Let's not talk about the news. Let's talk about our first chance to hang out together. We got a hangover together in person. We got real bro time. Hadn't happened in over a year. It has definitely been the longest period of time of which I have gone without seeing you in person. Of course, we get to do these in Zoom, Dan, but it was wonderful for Dan and I to get together uh, along with our friends, David Britz, Andrea Johnson from ICM Partners, the guys in Straight No Chaser, and Tim Faust and Austin Brown from Home Free got together for a live stream event out at the MGM National Harbor uh, about two weeks ago. A really great first outing together. We had a few, we even ate a few meals in a room together. That was a that was a lot of fun, but it's really just so great to be back out there. I'm so excited to hear more about what's going on in the world with conferences. And as we start to resume a little bit of normalcy in life out there, it's great to just reconnect with friends you haven't seen in forever. And Dan, you were one of them, my friend. We, we hadn't seen each other in about 14 months in person, which is quite a bit of time for us. It was nice to be at the casino. The MGM was beautiful in DC. Gotta say, a really great time to be in a casino that had a sports book so you could bet on the horses because we made a couple dollars. I followed David and just kind of bet on whatever he bet, but we won. So it was great. 
It, it was nice. It was the it was the Preakness weekend just up the road. We were in D.C. That it's uh, that's up in Baltimore, and and whoever won that weekend, I can't even remember the horse's name. I think we all did made made a few shekels that weekend. It was very nice. But there was a, a horse named Concert Tour, right? That was in the Preakness. It seemed like an absolute mortal lock, Dan. I don't know how that horse didn't win. I mean, it's probably because we bet on him to start as a part of our slate of horses. But that five six exact box that was a, that was a good one. I think that paid well. So you spent quite a bit of time at the poker table. Tables that weekend. How'd you wind up doing overall? I uh, I ended up winning a couple thousand bucks playing mostly two five no limit hold'em against some people out there. I probably got in about I don't know ten or fifteen hours of of play time over like the five days that we were there. I spent most of the free time I had on that Saturday before the Preakness over at the poker table doing pretty well. It was pretty nice. It's it is weird. I will tell you what the 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 amount of plastic dividers that go up in a casino to make you feel safe. Even though I was fully vaccinated, presumably with some people that were either fully vaccinated or you know just lying, was pretty wild. And it's it's crazy to think, talking to the guys at MGM, some of this ballroom space, some of this entertainment space that has been open for so long in some of these casinos have just become overflow rooms for slot machines and games now because you've had to spread people out on the casino floor. So it's going to be really interesting to see how places like casinos come back. I mean, are they going to actually rent this ballroom space out? Is that going to be at a premium? Is entertainment going to come back in casinos in a major way? I don't know. It was, it was all very interesting, but it was very cool to at least see people in a building, in a room doing things that, that felt very normal. I had a great time. We had a few very good steak dinners together as well, too, Dan. I enjoyed the dinners. I enjoyed the drinks. You know what I really enjoyed was of the take-home food that you can order, you can't really do the fried food. So it was my first onion ring in 15 months. So that yeah, that was nice, like hot off the grease. You know, it was like, you know, you, French fries, onion rings, it doesn't really work as a take-home thing. It really doesn't. It does not. It's it's one of those things where that's soppy and, and it's going to be, you know, greasy in the bottom of the bag on the way home there. I just feel like that's like a recipe for disaster right there. Well, I want more of it and I can't wait. I love the fact that Home Free is going to be on the road this fall and I'm going to spend some time out there hanging out with my friends. I cannot wait to get back on the road and it's coming so, so soon. Well, maybe this is a great segue, Dan, into a topic about everybody getting back together. Like how I did that? We've got on the podcast here, Mr. Ray Waddell. He's, of course, the executive director of Polestar and Polestar Live. He's here to sit down with Dan and talk about the first in-person conference we've got coming up here as part of the music business. Polestar Live is taking place in about a week in Los Angeles. And Dan had the chance to sit down with Ray to get all the latest scoop of what's going to be happening downtown LA. Dan, how'd it go? Pretty good. Take a listen. Ray's here to preview for us the first in-person hang that the industry has seen in about 15 months. Ray, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to be in Beverly Hills in just a couple of weeks for the first hang that the industry has brought together. And you, sir, are the Grand Marshal of the Ball. Tell us what you got prepared for us. Hey, we're excited about it. We announced that we were going to do this, I guess, back in December as an in-person event. I don't know how many people believed it, and I'm not even sure I did. But, you know, our CEO, Tim Lawicki, was bound and determined we were going to try to do this. And our hope was that we would find that sweet spot where we were able to do it, where we could actually legally and ethically gather people. And before it was everybody's too busy to do it. And as we're seeing come July, everybody that wants to be working in our business will probably be working or about to, right? So it's everybody I talk to is full tilt boogie come late summer, fall, and next year looks insane. So I think we may have found that sweet spot because LA opens up, California opens up full capacity on June 15th, and our dates are 
June 15 for production live and 16, 17 for Polestar live. Well, I am excited. I have my hotel reservation locked in. I My reservation is booked in. I cannot wait for this. So game on. Tell us what the highlights are. What can we expect this year at Polestar Live? It seems like it's going to be a little different than past years. I've actually got Howard Rose on a panel. When, when was the last time you saw that? I'll tell you when. Never. I've got <laughs> this panel about how to regain your momentum. Like say you've got a farewell kiss tour or an Elton tour and you just stop right in the middle of it, or you've got an artist that's exploding like Billie Eilish, and then all of a sudden this momentum comes to a screeching halt. Well, I've got her agent, Sarah Bowwinkle, on there. I've got Howard Rose, Elton's agent. I've got Doc McGee, Kiss's manager on there, plus Adam Kornfeld with Metallica and Ken from Eglitch on GNR. So that's about an agent and a manager. That's a stout panel right there. On the production live side of things, we got some great conversations there. It's going to be really good. And also, we got a really cool headliner we'll be announcing this week. Keynote, it's the first ever arena-level comic to speak at Polestar. You ready? You're breaking it right here. The first ever arena-level comic to headline at Polestar. The keynote is going to be who, Ray? Sebastian Maniscalco with his manager, Judy Marmel. Sebastian so is coming off an amazing run, headlining arenas playing everywhere, doing multiples. The guy has been killing it. And when business opens back up, clearly he'll just pick up right back on top, just like the lap car leaving the, the field. Should be a really interesting topic of a conversation. Now, Ray, if people are still too early for them personally to travel, they're not comfortable with it yet, or maybe they're coming from out of the country and they're not able to travel into the States, there's a virtual component this year, right? That's right. That's also another first time. It will be on demand, I think most, if not all, of our content will be virtually distributed like that. Check it out at postarlive.com. It's great that that option exists for people that they can do it that way too and be there online. As we've all learned, the virtual thing is not the hardest thing in the world right now. <laughs> no, it's actually been a godsend as Zoom has become a verb. But really, we just want to stage this event and pull it off, right? We want to get these people together. So, yeah. hey, there's a couple of rumors. Let's address them. I'm hearing rumors that the, the bars aren't going to be open at the Beverly Hilton. Is that true? That bar won't be open. We're going to have satellite bars all over the place, and it won't be hard to get a drink. We'll make sure of that. So do you need a pass to get a drink? I think it'll be with your registration and your laminate and all of that. I don't know what it is with the Hilton. I do know that their standards are, as far as ventilation and all that, exceed CDC. But, boy, I just heard it myself. But, Rumors are floating out there like mad. So the question is, can you take a meeting with someone while you're in for the conference at the hotel and get a drink if someone else isn't registered, even though you are? You'll so, be able to get a drink and have a meeting. That I can say. So if you're if somebody's going to meet with you if they're not registered they can still get in and get a drink with you so long as no, you're no, not that. I think they're going to be strict on how you get into the hotel and who gets into the hotel but just because of the covid thing you know cuz so I want to meet with someone that's not registered I need to do it off premise probably so I'll try to find out about that and let you know you do need to be tested at registration unless you're vaccinated so we're going to have on site testing do I have to bring my, well, we'll go back to that. So I'm vaccinated. Do I need to travel with my card or can I have a picture of my card? That's a good question. I'm traveling with both, but uh, I think the picture of your card will be adequate. You might want to stick the card in the water. To me, to be safe, to make sure you're covered. Cool, because I don't want you to tickle my brain. That hurts. Yeah. I'd rather have the shot than the, than the, than the brain tickle. Yeah, I hear you, but we, we're just concerned with safety right there, you know, so... 
No, no, no. I, I'm going to comply no matter what. I'm coming, and I'm going to play by the rules. I just want to know what the rules are. There are a lot of rules. I would say be safe and carry the car. But everybody in that conference will either be vaccinated or recently tested within the previous 10 minutes. Okay, so that's important. Let's let's outline that. So you're either vaccinated or you're tested. So make sure if you've got the card, bring the card with you just to be safe. Otherwise, your brain might get tickled. I would say that, but I'll tell you this. We'll have the most updated status of that on our website, postarlive.com. I'll make sure of that. Ray, you got to have a deal for us. What's the deal today? I do indeed have a deal. Anybody who watches this podcast, I've got a special rate, $50 off. Just at the time you check out, put in POD50. POD50 is the code. You save 50 bucks as a Promoter 101 listener if you register for Polestar Live right now. Hope you use it. Awesome. Looking forward to uh, actually being able to hang out with some people, get those first hugs in, and uh, those first cocktails at Polestar Live. Just a couple weeks away, June 15 to 17, you can register at PolestarLive.com. Ray Waddell, right here in Promoter 101. I can't thank you enough. Appreciate it, Dan. So good to have Ray Waddell here. It was a thrill, an honor. Anytime we can have the reporter's reporter for the industry right here on Promoter 101, I feel like just kind of legitimize our whole thing. You know, it's like the weight that is Ray you know, just brings the the oomph to the podcast. You know, it's a beautiful thing. This is Emma Banks. I work at Creative Artists Agency and this is Promoter 101. Tweets of the week. All right, it's the name of the podcast. We have to talk about it. Let's get into some tweets of the week. Let's start here, Dan. Did not really know what the official finish line of COVID would be that we'd all been watching for, but I think Nelly on CNN talking about festivals coming back at full capacity qualifies. I mean, Nelly really is the gold standard for music news breaking through, and anytime you see him on CNN, you know it's official. St. Louis style, baby. We back. How about this one? When none of the founding members are in the touring band. It's just a tribute band at that point, though, isn't it, Luke? I mean, if nobody in the band is in the fucking band, just a cover band, right? I mean, it's better than the Temptations, right? You know, just have one guy from the band in there. I guess. I don't know. Maybe just redo the whole thing. Dan, you had a little bit of a meme that went viral this week. It's not so much your normal medium. You're more of a Twitter guy, but it worked for you. You had the boss from Office Space, played by Gary Coleman, saying... Yeah, we need to catch up for the last 14 months, so every act is going on sale Friday. If you could make that work, that'd be great. That's my really bad office space boss impression, but I think you all know exactly which photo I'm, t- I'm talking about. Yeah, it was it was nice to be creative this week. It was it was fun that people really kind of enjoyed that. Plus, there's a nice little West Wing tie-in with him as, you know, he was the vice president from Colorado, as you very well know, Luke. Yes, Bob's boulders, man, of course. Big parts in season six and seven, you know? Big like that. Big like that. This next one, Luke, you'll appreciate because it came with part of Reese's musical education. Can you name a Van Halen song that Gary Sharon was the original singer on without looking it up or trying to slide by with an extreme track? Yeah, me neither. This made me laugh. But anytime you can teach Reese about the two and a half really good singers from Van Halen, like that's always great. Sammy, Dave, (laughs) that one guy that was an extreme. (laughs) I, I, I know there's some people that are going to cite Van Halen 3, but of the Van Halen albums, it, it doesn't really even count as a Van Halen album. I think, you know, the, the Wolfgang album coming out is probably more of a Van Halen album than that shit. I would think so. I think that's a fair, fair look at it. 
Anyway, musical education of Reese Steinberg furthered one tweet at a time. That'll do it for Tweets of the Week. Make sure you keep up with Dan and everything he's saying on socials. He's at the Jew on Twitter. You can also find him and all of his memes over on Facebook. Sure can. This is Charles Attell, C3 Presents, and I'm on Promoter 101. Our featured interview this week, I'm very excited because it's a story of incredibly talented music executive who's got a long history in New York working with some awesome characters who we've been lucky to have on this podcast and other places. Eddie Mike Cohn makes a feature in this story. Glancy makes a feature in this story. We hear about Radio City, but we're talking with one woman, Lori Jacoby, who's been at the center of all those things. She is the Executive Vice President and Chief Entertainment Officer at BSE Global, where she oversees all the programming and marketing for the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Please welcome to the podcast, Lori Jacoby. We've been waiting for this one for a while. We were promised before COVID that it was going to happen, and then COVID happened. But finally, we get to deliver the one and only Lori Jacoby right here in Promoter 101. Welcome, Lori. So great to be here. You know, this has been a long time in the making. I'm thrilled to join you. Wish we were in person, but this is the next best thing. Well, I love the Zoom thing, so we can actually see each other and talk, yeah. and it's awesome. But first started talking about doing the interview, you were at Madison Square Garden. Now you're over at Barclays, so let's talk about the new gig. Well, I'm almost at my three-month mark, which is amazing because time does fly when you're having fun. Here's the very fun title. I am the EVP and Chief Entertainment Officer. My boss, who is the other CEO, as he likes to say, knew that that was going to be very appealing. And he was just laughing. He goes, you'll be the other CEO. So I oversee all of the programming, anything that isn't related to the Nets or the Liberty. So it could be sports properties, it's concerts, anything. It could be college basketball games and tournaments, anything that's not the Nets or the Liberty. So it's a, it's a pretty big gig to oversee all of that. And it's been awesome so far. So basketball is already happening again, right? You guys have events going on with, well, obviously they were going on anyway, but you have events with audience now, right? Yes. Well, it's actually really exciting. This will air by the time that hopefully we're in the second round of playoffs, but tonight is the first game of the first round of playoffs. And the governor has just given us the AOK to open up. Must be nice to be in an arena that has a team that actually makes the playoffs. <laughs> yes, but coincidentally, that other team that never made the playoffs actually made the playoffs this year, too, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, there's a, a nice little New York rivalry going on right now, but it is really exciting. I've been to probably seven or eight games so far. So I've seen every iteration of fans being brought back into the venue. And so tonight is really going to culminate and it's going to, you know, to a point where it almost will be full. So it's going to be really exciting. And to see the talent on the team and and to know that I'm a part of that venue is, is really awesome. Now, normally I'd give you shit for calling the art that is the industry programming, but because it's sports and it's yeah. the circus and it's whatever that shit fell does and everything else on top of the concerts and yeah. the boat shows and everything else, you really are programming the calendar. Yeah. And when it comes yeah. to music, obviously that's the art. You would never call that pro. No, no, no. Correct. Because it encompasses everything. Literally the only exception are the two pro teams, but everything else, I oversee all the special events as well. So it's, it's like ward shows, one-offs and TV specials, things that are shot and produced at the venue as well. So it's a lot. It's more than concerts and family entertainment. I saw Jay-Z play there, I don't know, four or five years ago. He was doing multiple shows by himself, and he announced to the audience that it was okay if they wanted to dance in the aisles and stand on chairs because he, in fact, was the owner of the building, and that was okay. It's got to be kind of cool to have 
people that are involved with your venue are like artists like that to set the tone like that, where it's like they're really tied to the community and other artists know this is the house that Jay-Z owns. That's that's kind of neat. Yeah, he's no longer because he has a, a sports agency now. He's repping athletes. He's no longer allowed to to be involved with a venue. So he's no longer one of the owners. We have our own relatively new owner of the venue and the team, but you're right. He did put a stamp. Like I like to say the vibe factor at Barclays is about a community. It is really, even like during the summer where things and all the unrest, the plaza outside of the venue kind of became like a town hall. It really is remarkable how it became sort of a gathering place. And I think people feel a lot of ownership and feel part of that community. I do think a lot of the things that are booked there reflect that. And there could be shows playing there that do well, that may not sell well in any other market. You know, old school hip hop, old school R&B at an arena level that's not part of a major tour sells out shows there. So it, it, it's really interesting to see the different dynamics in that venue. Now, you guys are in a major market where there are many other arenas. Obviously, you came from MSG earlier, but there are like four massive arenas. So when you guys are trying to get shows, obviously, the sports teams get to lock in their dates first. And that's, you know, you either have the dates or you don't once all the sports teams lock in. But you've got two, three or four arenas like competing for every date. So especially when it's the cooler stuff, I know some of the bigger acts like to bounce back and forth between the arenas to give a different vibe to their show or make sure they get to different fans to be a little closer to them. But the competitiveness of that nature in that market, there aren't major arenas in most markets that can really have to compete with another arena in the same, you know, a couple subway stops down the road. Like that's got to be really challenging. It is challenging. That's where your relationships come into play. I've been in the business a long time. Look, at the end of the day, if the artist wants to play one venue over the other, no promoter, no venue person is going to convince them to do otherwise. But if I can make a compelling argument or story of why they should play Brooklyn over somewhere else, you bet I'm going to be doing that. I've always prided myself on making whatever show it was. I always tried to make make it the, the best show for that artist and for that promoter. And I'm going to you know, do the same thing in Brooklyn. And I think that people, you know, recognize what I did, you know, in my previous job. And I made New York not a scary stop for people. And a lot of people were very afraid to come in New York and and play their big show. And I think I alleviated a lot of people's nerves and fears because I just welcomed them in as if it was just a big party for them. And I want to do the same in Brooklyn. That's super cool. Now, I I always find it an interesting thing because when I'm in New York, I don't like going to shows because there's so much to do in that city. I feel like I can catch a show in any other city. And I spend so much of my time when the industry is back and running at shows. It's the one city I really try to avoid being in a theater or being in an arena. But tourism has got to be a big part of the business in New York City. I imagine you guys see a lot more of that than the average city. Oh, absolutely. It's why it's been so devastating to see the effects of the pandemic on the entire five boroughs of, of New York. It's not just obviously Manhattan. And there's so many destinations and people come for various reasons, whether it's the museums or going to a Broadway show or going to a concert or going to a, whether it's basketball, hockey, whatever it may be, people make a destination of that and come, you know, they could spend a weekend uh, based around, you know, doing 10 things that they can't do elsewhere. So it's finally, it definitely feels like when I'm walking around now, things are definitely feeling more, I would say, normal. Obviously, we have a ways to go, but it definitely, I can tell the difference 
I can see more people on the street because the weather's nicer. Also, it sort of obviously lends itself to seeing people out and about. But it it it, it does it definitely feels like it's coming back. Well, it's already back. It's getting it's coming back stronger. I should say. Yeah, it's it's. We were talking before we started just the traffic. How how crazy the real estate thing is. Just getting the holds, getting everything locked in, and how much further in advance people are trying to book right now than they ever have before. Just. They need to lock the tours in. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I lived through so much of it. I mean, all the tours that were in 2020, then moved to 21. And then they started moving into 22. And then people felt like there's too much traffic in 22. And now there, people are holding dates in 23 that I don't even know what day or year it is anymore. Because when I go on the calendar, I'm like, wait, where are we? Because people are asking me for two years from now. And it's it's kind of hard to keep track of like what people are really asking for. It is amazing how many times I get wrong in an email the year that I'm requesting because you're just so used to typing 2021 next to the year. It's like, oh, no, no, I should have asked for 22 or sorry. Can you reset those to me for 22? I've, I've done that several times where I placed holds on the calendar and I had, then I'm like second guessing myself. I'm like, did I put the right year? Like, <laughs> I have to go back and read everything. The amazing part is Zinc is back filling outdoor summer shows in the middle of the country. And some of that stuff is confirming for July and August in real time. You know, yeah, two, three thousand seaters in the middle of the country that's open. So it's like these filler things where you see them coming in. It's like, did you mean to send that for 21? He's like, yeah, yeah, we got to get it up next week. Like, this has got to go quick. It's like six yeah. weeks. Yeah. We got to go. I've had people ask me about potentially for August of this year. I've had, I have some shows that are on sale for this September. I had somebody ask me yesterday about it. He goes, he goes, I might be able to do a show this September. I again had to ask him what year. But like you've probably seen, people don't need that long window of time to put a show on sale anymore. They could do it in, you know, six weeks, maybe eight weeks. Now, you guys have the basketball teams in, so you already have staffing in place and you're set up yes. to be able to flip the, flip the switch on if somebody wanted to do that and everything was copacetic with local officials and, and government. I yes. was talking to some of the club owners and ballroom owners across the country the last couple of weeks. And what I was hearing from them was, it's not a matter of just being allowed to be open. You have to bring your staff back. You have to be able to stock. You have to be able to have enough business, critical mass, to make it financially worth opening the doors again, putting these people back on salary, taking them off unemployment and getting everything up and running. Because if you just have one show you're opening for next month, and you don't have anything else, you're just booking some local stuff that's not going to work. And you're even with the sold out share, you're going to wind up losing money on the month and coming out of COVID with no revenue losses is not what they want to do. So everybody's trying to figure September, October, when they're going to be able to have enough critical mass to open the doors of their venues again. And I know for some people, it'll be July, some people will be later. But this is, seems to be a real tricky thing. But the sports teams have made it so you guys kind of have that advantage that you already staffed for the most part. You guys have those systems in place. You could flip the switch if you had a show that made sense at this point. Yeah. I mean, the only thing is getting enough staff now. So we were at different levels. So we started with 300 people in the building. Then we went up to like a thousand people in the building. This is all the different like sort of green light we would get from government of how many people we could have in the building and different steps that we had to take. And now today we're at tonight will be the highest level. So it, we now have to sustain a staffing pool for that, for that many entrances to be open for that many food stands to be open for, you know, there's no more ticket takers. Obviously it's all going to be scanned, but still we need staff to, you know, help people get to their, their seats. So now it's really about staffing up again. A lot of people left cities, moved away, took on different jobs, you know, on the flip side of that for 
crews for bands going out. They've got to get their staffs back up and running and, and get their staff together. And, and hopefully they have muscle memory to be able to like kind of snap back into that, that mode of doing things. I was laughing with somebody last night. I go, oh my God, my first settlement's going to be so weird. <laughs> like it's one thing to be talking about the calendar. It's another thing to actually go in and do like a show from the start to, you know, start to finish and then do settlement because we haven't been using our brains in the same way. I had straight no chaser go on sale yesterday and I was on the phone with the manager and he was asking me to log in and pull counts. And it took me a minute to remember how to pull real-time counts through TM1. Cause I mean, we get our, we get ticket counts automatically sent, you know, uh, with the updates from the staff, but there was no real reason I needed to be in the system pulling counts. Cause it was just like, yeah, whatever. But now we've got actual on sales every week. I think we put up 24 shows yesterday. It was like, okay, I guess I should log in and look at some of this stuff, but it's like, I forgot how to use the ticker too. I forgot and to use TM1. It's like, what I the know. Hell? It's really funny because it would, when it when it first was made available, we all it was like crack. You couldn't stop looking at it, and you're like, oh my god, it's on sale. And you kept like refresh, refresh, and then when you don't use it for 14 months, I completely forgot. Like, wait, I forgot how to log in. I forgot the whole thing. I forgot how to like do pull up multiple events. Like the whole thing was completely gone. Yeah, it's just like I know some people do it do it on their phone. It's just like I've just you know, oh, uh, right. unless it's like a critical mass thing. It's just like I usually just like wait for the laptop. But nevertheless. Let's talk about your career and get away from the COVID stuff. It's exciting stuff because it's like it's the good time to talk about COVID, the things that are coming back opposed to how how dreadful everything is. But let's go back to, you know, you went to school in Oregon, which I'm very excited about. We bond on that is yes. you, me, Jason Miller, are all ducks, Adam Zach, shout out to the ducks. Go ducks. Go ducks. Were you involved with Cultural Forum Program I, Council when you were in Oregon? I was. I actually... I will say that's really how I got my start in the business. I kind of talked my way into that position and I did it for two years. Um, Were you the chair? Yeah, I was the chair of the, I think they called it popular concert. They had like different divisions. Right. So for example, I I had popular concerts and Mike Quinn, who's at Monkey, Mike Quinn and I were on the culture forum together and I was pop concerts and he was like jazz. And I can't remember what the other delineation was and the then folk the, fest and stuff was done by the other guy right yeah. yeah yeah and then there was like i think they had like literature or so they had some other thing i can't really remember but that's how i got started and so we had the great old matt court and we had the ballroom i had some incredible shows that i got to produce there the emu ballroom i didn't know there when i was a student yeah that's where that's where robert cray and right out coming out of the blues brothers that was as you know filmed that sorry Animal House was filmed there. But Blues Brothers actually sort of got their start because while they were filming, Jim Belushi got to see Curtis Salgado play in Eugene. This is how like the story the, goes. The Eugene Hotel, right? Yes. And he put together this band based on seeing Curtis and his band. And uh, anyway, the Cultural Forum used to do those uh, Friday shows uh, at the ballroom, the beer gardens. I don't know were they still there when you were when you were there. No, nobody ever really used the MU when I was uh, oh. there. But like, yeah. Know, but I was excited to like bring Mo because it was like do a show on campus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we used that every Friday. We had these beer gardens. We would have bands play there for probably like maybe a dollar or something. But I also get, we had to do concerts there. Like Mike brought in like Ornette Coleman. I brought in like. It was supposed to be XTC and Jules Holland, but XTC had to cancel because 
I think Andy, the lead singer, like had a nervous breakdown before the show. And uh, I ended up with just Jules Holland that night, who I'll, I'll always be grateful for because he actually did go on with the show. But then I, in Matt Court, I got to do Frank Zappa, which was probably one of my uh, greatest highlights ever. That was, that was really spectacular. Frank Zappa, how cool is that? Really cool. I'm curious, what was a young Mike Quinn like? Oh, he was great. He was, he was, he was always sort of the cool dude. He's very quiet, but like, you know, he just always had that air of coolness about him. He still has and, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it turned out that I am still friends with his ex-girlfriend. I met my one of my closest friends that was his girlfriend at the time. We're, we're still close to this day. I've yeah. always liked Mike. He's a cool yeah, guy. Yeah. He's done very well for himself. It's uh, the one thing I've always been impressed about the Northwest because I, you know, I was originally in Denver, but when I came to the Northwest, Monkey, Double T, Showman, the history was before that. Bauer Kinnear obviously was yeah. here. So like you had all of these amazing like independent promoters. Of course, Double T is still here. Thrash yeah. Presents. Like it, the market has really done a great job like hosting more indies than the average market in our business. Because usually AG or Live Nation with the consolidation have really picked up big market shares. And obviously they, both those companies are here, but it's really impressive how much the indies still have a factor in the Northwest. It's really it's really says a lot of, you know, you, you will say there's some things that, or some people that don't have loyalty, but obviously there are some bands, agents, managers that do have loyalty to the people that were there with boots on the ground in the very beginning. So you have to give your, you know, tip your hat to those folks for, for keeping those businesses going. Yeah. My, uh, my love, regardless of where I work, is still, uh, still cheer for the Indies. And I think that's also just like a Northwest thing. I think people are, they're entrepreneurial, but it may be with a different twist. And I think that appeals to people. You know, if you're an artist, I think that appeals to them as well. Yeah, there's certainly a vibe to it. Uh, although if you try to buy a show after 420, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but hopefully everyone's on the same page. <laughs> a lot of truth in what I just said. Okay. So you started Culture Forum. What was your next step after you finished school? So I grew up in Long Island. I we would go, how the hell did you get out to Oregon? It was just like a fluke, but I ended up going there. I was only supposed to stay a year. I loved it. And I, I ended up graduating from the University of Oregon. I didn't want to move back to New York. So I just said, okay, I'm going to go to like the next big city. So I skipped Portland. And I went right to Seattle because I thought Seattle had a lot more like opportunities for me. So I moved there. I didn't know anybody. I moved there. I lived in a shared house on top of Queen Anne. I got a job at Discount Records in the U, uh, in U Village. Of course, it wasn't my dream job to do, but I had the time of my life. It was a huge store. It had a Ticketmaster. Well, it's probably Ticketron at the time. Or maybe it wasn't Ticketmaster, but there we, we had a ticket. The Bass Ticks? No, it wasn't Bass. It was like, I want to say it was Ticketron. I don't know. Whatever it was, we had an outlet in the back of the store. So I was like a pig in shit because I had all the albums around me. By the way, this was albums. CDs hadn't come out yet. And I had the the ticket outlet. I had the ability. I was. I first started in school as an art and design major, so I did all the windows. I, and these were huge windows at the store. And all, back then, the labels would come and bring you all these supplies to do really creative windows. And they would do contests of, you know, okay, we're gonna, you know, do the regional contest for who's gonna do the best Eurythmics album window. So I put a Sweet Dreams came out. So I put a bed in the window. I had like I did crazy shit. And again, I. 
you know, wasn't making a lot of money, but I had the time of my life. I, I got front row seats to almost any show I wanted to go to. And I got like major discounts off of albums. So I was like, yep, they saw me come and they were like, this woman's going to spend the entire paycheck in our store. So it was awesome. And that's when labels and, used to actually do ticket buys and actually send the people oh, yeah. on and, the floor and, at record stores to the show so they could talk up the bands. Yes. And also, this was before there was any way, any sort of sound scan. I also was in charge of buying the 12-inch singles and all the DJs, that's what the DJs use. So they would come to me and tell me what they like. And then I would also buy them uh, for our store. And I would also have all the promoters and people calling me getting counts on what was selling. So we, it was sort of the first way of people getting information before there was sound scan or, you know, the information hub. Yes, it was awesome. It was great. I had, I was like right in the center of it, making minimum wage, (laughs) but having a great time at it. Um, And then I saw an ad in the Seattle weekly for the programming, I think they called it the programming director for Bumbershoot, which I had been going to. Oh, one reel. And one reel. And I ended up getting that job. I, I, you know, I, again, kind of talked my way in. I didn't really know that much. I just had my experience at school, but I love music. And I, in my mind, I kind of panned out what I thought a perfect festival lineup would be. So I went in with like all of my ideas and notes and, and they were like, hmm, she like, she gets it. She knows what the festival is about. And uh, so I got the job there and that's, that's, that was like a really big break for me. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't yeah. realize that you had, you had done that. Yeah. They really liked the East coast buyers at, at, at one reel for bumper shoot. Well, it's funny. Yeah. This was before Chris was there. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, most people didn't, know that I was from New York because I sort of adapted to that whole Northwest thing. And I tried to lose my Long Island accent quickly. (laughs) Um, And I think Chris is sort of the same way. He's kind of, uh, you know, he doesn't have an, he's not an aggressive East coast person. You know what I mean? The accent's thick. Yeah, his is thick, but you know that's that's that. And even if it wasn't, nobody likes the Boston Red Sox on this side of the country the way he does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I was there for five years, uh, and also one reel put on other events, uh, a big Fourth of July event uh, down by Gasworks Park, which is Space Needle Fireworks Show, right? Yeah, Yeah. it was amazing, and uh, so we got to be involved in that. I actually got to. It was literally like all hands on deck. We some people dubbed us like the concert commune because we did everything. Like if we also had that um, concert series on the pier, it was called Summer Nights on the Pier. Yeah, um, the pier got condemned sadly, but it was such a great place to see. But it shows. was such a great place, and so we I got to be part of the inaugural shows there. But literally, we were up like on a cherry picker painting. I mean, we did it all. Like it literally was like the concert commune, which was uh, it definitely appealed to me to be part of that type of vibe and. At the fireworks event, I actually got to, I don't know, I was with like one of the guys who had the big, one of those big super trooper, like lights. Spotlights. Spotlights. And I had like the headset on and I was like, go, go. <laughs> like, like they literally put us all to work. <laughs> it's amazing. That's awesome. I love that. So from one reel, what was okay. your next step? All right. So then in, while I was at one reel, I went to some, it's now defunct, some sort of conference, music industry festival thing that was in New Orleans where I met Jim Glancy. And nice. this is how it all kind of snowballs from here. So I became friends with Jim and he was booking Wolf Trap at the time. 
And then I think a couple of years later, he decides he's moving up to New York to go work at Radio City. And he put my Eddie hired him, right? Eddie hired him. He put my name on a short list of people they should talk to from Wolf Trap about me moving there and taking over booking the, the concerts there at Wolf Trap. I didn't want to leave Seattle. I love Seattle, but I thought, okay, they called me. I should at least fly out and do the interview. Well, I did. And my family was still in New York. So it was closer to be, you know, in uh, Virginia than being all the way in Seattle. Anyway, I had the interview and three weeks later, I moved to Northern Virginia. And not only did I move to Northern Virginia, I didn't have a place to stay. So Glancy gave me his place with his roommate. (laughs) I stayed in his place for two weeks until I found a place to live. And then I'll just fast forward. He decides to leave Radio City and go to what was then Delsner Slater. And then Eddie called me and said, hey, Radio City and the Garden are merging. This was 1998. And he said, do you want to come up to New York? So I literally followed Glancy to two jobs. (laughs) Like I went from Seattle to Virginia, Virginia to New York. And, um, and I, you know, we, we always laugh about that. I'm like, okay, Jim, where am I going next? (laughs) So were you programming Radio City when you started with the two of them? I started in 98 programming Radio City and the Garden. Glancy was now at Delsner Slater. Right. I meant the two venues. Oh, yeah, yeah. The two venues. Yes, I did both. I did both for about 20 years. And then they decided to kind of split up the venues and have one person kind of concentrate on a venue at a time and to try to grow uh, as much as I could the concerts at the arena. So, yeah, that's what happened. So I was there. I did it for 20 years, both venues. So what was working for Fast Eddie like? Oh, Eddie's the best. Uh, He's just got the biggest heart. People love him. Obviously, a true people person. Artists, you know, everybody felt great around Eddie. He was like the atypical, it's hard to explain. Like, he's just the person that everybody wants to be around. And and he had great contacts, obviously, in the business. Um, I actually, I forgot about this part. One summer, I I interned, not intern, I was in the mailroom of ICM. And he was an agent there, but we didn't know each other at the time. But we actually did overlap because I spent one summer in the mailroom in New York at the ICM office. Um, but, you know, I, I've known of him. Where does, wait, wait, where does that fit in? I know, I forgot that part. <laughs> There's actually a couple of things I forgot. So I was still going to Oregon. I came home for the summer. You're still a student. Okay. Yeah, I was still a student. I came home for the summer in New York and I somehow met somebody who knew someone and I got the job for the summer working in the mailroom. So Eddie was there, Shelley Schultz was there, Rob Light was there. It was like, you know, back in the heyday. This was before CIA even existed. Right. So I, I was in the mailroom there as well. So I did that for three months. Yeah. So Eddie was an agent at the time, but obviously our worlds became, you know, sort of 360 later full circle. And I was like, God, you don't remember, but I was in the mailroom when you were there. So what was that like working in the mailroom? Were you you like a gopher for a lot of stuff? Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it was a great introduction to what an agency was like. There was a huge, huge copy machine in there. I would have to copy scripts because, you know, of course, ICM had their film and television writers. It wasn't just music. There was a telex machine, which None of you youngsters will know what that is, but that's it's sort of like was our own sort of Western Union way of sending like offers and, and messages to people. So I had to work on the telex machine. I copy scripts. I had to go out and buy birthday cakes. I had to take petty cash to places. I delivered the mail. I got to know a lot of people. It was great. It's kind of a catch all. There's a great book out called The Mailroom that talks about the mailroom is at William Morris and CAA and ICM. And it's a really great way to hear the stories of 
some of those early people that had become really successful in business, but what their um, boot camp for the industry essentially yeah. is like. And, and I think, you know, look, I, I, I don't, I always say like, you, there's, you shouldn't skip a step. I feel like you should go through whatever you have to go through because it makes you the person that you are in the end. And you have empathy for anybody else going through those steps. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was definitely a good way to learn, also a place to make your mistakes on your way up. It was a good way of seeing what an agency, how how it worked. Uh, yeah, yeah, you always wonder, each agency acts a little differently, and yet they all have to, like this common theme. So it's you're always kind of curious when you deal with a new, an agent switches agencies and they have that new letterhead, how that's going to change their philosophy of how they do business. Yeah, and I had one other thing I, I left out, but it was before I had the job in Seattle, I actually went back to New York for one year and I worked at Norby Walters and it was a big talent agency that had all the best R&B, hip hop, soul. That's where I met Carol Lewis. That's where, yeah, that's where Jeff Frasco started. That's where quite a few agents came out of that. Mark Siegel, who's now at ICM. So, uh, but that was the beginning of hip hop. So like Curtis Blow, Run DMC, but they also had Luther Vandross, Patti LaBelle, Rick James, uh, so I worked there for one year and then I moved back to Seattle. Like it was just a, a blip, but I have, I do have lifelong friends that I, that I made from being there at that time. What did you do while you were there? Oh, I was an assistant to two agents. Okay. So you were training to possibly be an agent. Yeah. I, I it's funny. I, it, it wasn't like a formalized program. <laughs> so uh, did it you was, see yourself as possibly going in that, in that direction? No, I really wanted to be on the live side. I just did it because it became like I got a little pressure to go back to New York from my family. And I met somebody who knew somebody and like you need to I met Norby and Norby was like he was the ultimate kind of show person and bigger than life. And he was like, yeah, you need to come to New York. And yeah, we're going to do this and this for you. And I got there. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> like This was it was very different, uh, much different than the agencies that exist today. I want to get uh, Madden on to like do with the red pen and show the playbook of the timeline of your career based on how you've explained it from start to finish and then gone back. And, you know, here's the X, here's the O, if we slide this here, there, touchdown. I, yeah, I sometimes I forget all the things I did. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that too. I forgot about that. Let's take a side step. So your husband's an artist, right? Yes. And he's been doing these cool things during COVID where he takes the, the, the page of the paper and paints over it, but turns them into this amazing, incredible scene. Can, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that hobby? Because it's amazing. I mean, I guess it's not a hobby, it's his career, right? Well, my, heart, my husband is an artist who's uh, also a graphic designer and art director. He's from Columbia. And when he moved here way before I met him, he was like freelancing. So my birthday was like in the one of the first months that COVID started it was April. So right March was when it all kind of everything shut down. And he wanted to get me a card, but we were really staying kind of close to our apartment. We didn't go out very much. So he painted me these roses on the cover of the New York, like the page of the New York Times. And I go, oh my God, that's so cool. I go, you should do like a series of these things. And so then he started painting typical scenes from New York or things that were related to the pandemic, some really moving things like at seven o'clock every night, people would like clap for the 
the frontline workers, that's when the shift change was. So a lot of people weren't leaving their, their apartments and stuff. So they would just like open their windows and start clapping and, you know, banging on cans and pots and pans and making all this noise of appreciation. So my husband did this one painting of two hands coming out of a window clapping. And then people were like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like it just started to snowball. And he did like different scenes, whether it was like a brownstone or just on a, and anything that might have been New York related. And then people started asking him to do commissions, like somebody got married and they wanted, you know, I sent him a photo. Somebody, they decided, you know, this was my favorite space in New York and I'm no longer there. So we, it became like a little cottage industry out of our apartment. We ordered all the supplies. We had boxes to ship stuff out. The, thankfully, the UPS store is like two blocks from us. So this became like an, a daily existence within our living room. And it's, it's so funny because today he just got another order. Like now he's not doing them daily, but people are still like calling up and asking if like, hey, you know, if you, if you get the paper, can he do this date? So I just, we just literally sold one today. How long does it take him to do a single oh, paper? It, he'll do it. He could do it in a day. And then we frame them. Oh, yeah. Like it's happening in our living room. <laughs> we get it. He frames it. He paints it. He frames it. We ship it out in a, in a nice sturdy box. Go walk over to UPS and on it's, it's on its way. They've gone through. I, they've gone to out of the country. They've been there like France. One went to Russia, um, all over the United States. It's It's been amazing. It's like total word of mouth. Yeah. You've seen it, like you've yeah, seen. Yeah, you've got them on your Facebook page from time yeah. to time. And yeah, they're, yeah. They're really yeah. intricate and awesome. But yeah, yeah. thank you, thank they're you. Very cool. Me. Now, how did you guys meet, and when when did that fall into your timeline? Yeah, I, I know. My husband said, "How did you even have time for me?" <laughs> so we actually met. This is really in a date us, but. <clears throat> We both had Yahoo emails. <laughs> I laugh because Yahoo. Yahoo, it's like one step above AOL. And so we both had Yahoo emails. We didn't know each other, obviously. And there were like these little subgroups like Yahoo Business, Yahoo, whatever, professionals, whatever. And there was something like, you know, I'll call it Yahoo singles or something. But it wasn't a dating site. You could just like put a profile up. And we each kind of clicked on each other's like photo and we, that's how we met. And then we obviously had to meet in person at some point. Um, <laughs> so you guys should just have like a, you got mail kind of chat going on for a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's yeah. awesome. It sounds, yeah. that sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the funny thing is um, my husband's, he, he, his command of English, he knows it and understands it. But back then he didn't speak it as, as much. And so when we met, I was like, well, how are we going to communicate? <laughs> because like, you know, it's just different. You get nervous. You meet people in person. It's a little different. He'll kill me for saying this, but he'll never hear it. But um, <laughs> so I was like, when we first tried to meet, he didn't understand the directions. And so we were like literally walking around in circles. I go, I can't date you if I can't find you. <laughs> so, <laughs> Where is he from? Columbia. Okay. Yeah. And how long was he here before you guys met? Oh, he was here probably maybe three or four years before we met. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. you guys have been together quite a while now, right? We're, we'll be married 13 years in December. Yeah. Back to yeah. the Yahoo days. Back to... <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Columbia is amazing. I've been there many times. Sadly, there's a, a lot of unrest, you know, for political reasons and stuff, but the people are wonderful. I hear good things about the cocaine. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I would know nothing about that. But, you know, of course, there's movies that come out and depict certain things. It's nothing like that. Oh, you're so bad. <laughs> I love that I caught you off guard with that. 
anyway. That's too funny. Okay. So now because of COVID, they wound up changing or laying people off and furloughing from MSG and you wound up making the switch over to Barclays after a couple months of downtime. Yeah. The funny thing is, well, it wasn't funny to be laid off, but the funny thing is like a couple of days later, the CEO who's there, John Albamondi, who also used to be at MSG, like text me and I'm like, look, I don't know what I want to do. I, I'm not making any decisions right now. And like, I literally said, I'm not going to Brooklyn. Like I just kind of poo-pooed it and like, I'm not going. And then a couple other things came up and nothing that was like ringing my bell. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to wait it out. Fortunately, I was in a position I could live in New York and stay for a while without having to work as compared to other people that had to leave the city, you know, without it. It's hard to live here without it. Yeah, it's expensive. It's very expensive. I decided to wait it out and actually contemplated moving back to the Northwest, which I think I told you. Remember I said I was yeah, going to talk about it. Yeah, you guys yeah. were going to come visit. Yeah. Um, and then we because the traveling at the time wasn't really advised. I never made that trip out there. But flash forward to end of January and they started calling again. They go, look, you're like, why won't you talk to us? <laughs> so I thought you know what, why am I not talking to them? And agents move all the time, promoters move all the time. I need to get over myself. So I ended up meeting by Zoom, all of the, uh, which are now my colleagues. I had about seven different Zoom interviews with uh, members of the executive team that I'm now a part of. And I really liked them. And I thought, you know what, these are my people. I like these people. I could work with these people. And uh, I accepted the job in February and I started in March. And that was, that's a fast abbreviated story of that, but yes. And now back to it. Do you feel a little like you're cheating on your old girlfriend with your book in the, uh, the, well, the competing room? It's funny because I'm with my other uh, ex-colleague from MSG who's now with me, Corey Humpage. And we were coming home from an event last night. And uh, I said, you know, what's really hard is that I'm kind of competing against myself because all the shows I booked have now been rebooked in 21. And I'm, they're all the shows I, like I'm competing against myself of all the shows that are up. But you no, know, I mean, look, you know, life goes on. I'm super happy where I am. I couldn't be with a more welcoming group of folks. I have a much bigger role. And, you know, I kind of didn't know that I could do other things and, and use other parts of my brain and create a, a, a team and a department. I'm starting from scratch. So it's, you know, it's good to sometimes force yourself to, you know, do different things. And I've said to many people, you're, you're never, it's never too late in life to reinvent yourself. And that's kind of what's happened. Well, clearly it's a new challenge and it's a new day, but starting from scratch with what is an amazing arena. I've been there. Oh, good. It's, it's not, it's not a barn by any means. That thing no, is, no, they no. are, it's gorgeous. And you've been given the best possible platform to build from because it really is a gorgeous venue. Oh, I'm glad you I'm glad you've been there and I can't wait for you to come back. It's all of that. And it's it's a, it feels very homey in a good way. Uh, I've met. Well, <laughs> literally, I'm in the job like a minute and a half and we got tasked to put together that DMX memorial. We literally pu pulled that together in a week. And that was a quick way for me to get to learn who everyone was in the company and what roles they had. And at the end of it, I'm like, wow, this is an incredible team of people. And I feel really lucky to be part of it. So I'm, I'm, I feel great about that. And I'm looking for, I can't wait till shows happen. I'm going to cry as soon as those lights go down and that roar of the crowd, whatever that first event is, I'm going to be a sobbing mess in the corner. <laughs> I think we're all looking forward to the first time you're in the room and you hear go to yeah, black. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so before I let you go, do you have any advice 
for the younger people coming up in the industry as far as like how to like make it and have longevity and what your basic philosophy is? Yeah, I, I feel like you really can't skip a step and you have to keep learning. Um, my main thing is, and I've said this to so many people, you really need to develop your relationship and, and have the ability to talk to people in person as well as on the phone and stop with the damn emails and texts and like pick up the phone and start calling people and start creating what will hopefully become a lifelong relationship and friendship with people. I mean, I know we're all busy, but I'm my first thing is if there's an issue, I pick up the phone. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not texting somebody. I'm not emailing them. I'm getting on the phone because I think it also shows a sign of respect. Like, Hey, let's just work this out. Because an email lives forever. If you write some nasty email to somebody, that, you can't ever take that back. So I'm like, you know what? Why not just bite the bullet? It may be uncomfortable, but they'll probably have a lot more respect for you if you pick up the phone. You probably have a lot of those relationships that you have because you're so good at talking to people. I'm so good at explaining to people they misunderstood the tone of that email when I called you a fucking <laughs> asshole. I was kidding. You misunderstood the tone. <laughs> See what I mean? <laughs> you gotta sell it. You really gotta sell it. It's really funny. I didn't know you were gonna sell that. Oh, you were gonna sign that new arena act. I had no idea. I, I was, of course, I was kidding. I don't think you suck. Well, sometimes it just feels good to get it off your chest and write something, but then, again, it's hard to retract that and take it back. Zinc has a way of responding to emails just to me that are a chain. So I see them and I freak out because I think he's telling the agent or manager what I'm thinking, but in no uncertain terms. And then I realize he only sent it to me. I was just like, he's like, it's one of those, oh, wow, we're fucked. <laughs> oh, you only said it to me, you dick. Oh, thank God. <laughs> but see, that's a good lesson, right? Right. Not but he, did, he, got to, he got to write it. He got to say yeah. what he was thinking. Right, right, right. And he got right, to scare right. me, which I think is definitely yeah, I'm, the, I'm, the I'm, highlight I'm, for him. I, I do pride myself in writing. I do give good email, but I don't. I don't you say you, you you give good email. That's right. Yeah, I like always say I give good. I give I give good email because I have a way that uh, I might write it, which may not tell them to f off, but it sort of explains my point of view to the point where I have like, yeah, I didn't piss them off quite yet, but at least told them how I feel. But to my first point, I'd rather get on the phone and talk to them. <laughs> yeah. It's a different thing. I am really thankful that this interview got put off as long as it did, because over the course of the last year and a half, two years, we've become much closer and we, we text and we joke around, we screw on social media. I feel like, I definitely knew way more about your career that was able to ask you questions that I was very much interested in, but I don't think it would have been the same interview nearly in depth because I really enjoyed the last hour. It's been a whole lot of fun for me. Oh, thank you. And I have to say sort of my shameless admiration for you, but you were so great when, when the shit went down and you were checking in on me and, you know, the old, the old thing is you really know who your friends are when, you know, when, things go sideways. It is true. So I have to thank you for that because you just would call me out of the blue like, with no agenda other than to say, hey, what's going on? And I that really means a lot to me. Oh, I had an so, agenda. I knew at some point you were going to job I was going <laughs> to count for. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it certainly wasn't, it didn't seem that way to me. And I will always think of it the other way. <laughs> I, 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 I knew it was just a matter of time before you found any place, obviously. I, and I was I was excited for the idea that you might be coming to the Northwest. I, thought I was pretty so close. Cool. I have to tell you that if the weather, if it wasn't in the winter, because we have two big dogs and there was no way I was putting them 
below in storage on a plane. So my whole thing was, okay, we'll drive cross country. We have the dogs. So if the weather was better, I probably would already be out there. <laughs> we would have, who knew I wouldn't be in Brooklyn. So I, things are meant to be the way they're supposed to, to way they're supposed to turn out. Well, at some point, somebody will, you know, spend a ton of money and redo Key Arena and try and coax you out here. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait to come back to the Northwest. I really do miss it. There's nothing quite like it. Well, come visit. We would love to have you. Before we go, I do want to comment that when I was at the Who at MSG, you had a room set up to host people for the garden. And it was really neat. You did who cookies and pillows and things on the wall and really set the vibe for the room for that show. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was the industry schmooze, but it, it, the, the tone that you guys put on that was special. You weren't just in any venue. You guys were, you know, there was this awesome thing. You're not going to watch the opener anyway, but get there early and you can hang. And the hang was awesome. And I, I thought the, 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 the signature pillows just for the event were special. Oh, people and- love those pillows. <laughs> just, yeah. I'm sure you've got something up your sleeve for Barclays I, and what you're going to do for hospitality. But like, yeah, I thought it was I, really cool that you made that special. And I hadn't forgotten it. Matter of fact, I remember you, you at the end of the night, you gave me one of the hoop pillows to take. And uh, I was with Jeff White and he stole it the second we got out of your eyesight. He's like, that's mine. I was like, okay. Oh, well, if I was still there, I'd, I'd, get, I'd send you one. But No, I was so excited <laughs> that he wanted to travel home with it because it, it was kind of big and bulky, but it's awesome. <laughs> this is the one from McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> one that we just this one didn't have his name on it but um, for anyone that can't see because you know we don't do image it was the union jack on a pillow <laughs> but um no i you know what it was really fun to kind of transform that room um like i said in kind of like when i first got to the garden people were really like nervous about being there people didn't feel like it was hospitable it was just all kind of our way or the highway type of vibe. And I really did try to do my best to kind of change that whole vibe around. And we were very successful at doing that. And I'll be continuing that love fest in in Brooklyn because it's the Brooklyn way, you know. Well, it's just a neat thing though, in general, because I mean, it's like in that room, Ron Delsner was there and Shappy was there and Seth Molaski. And like, you just walk through the room. There was a bunch of industry that came to hang, whether they had something to do with the show or not. Jason Miller was there, who I believe was the promoter that night, technically. And Yes. Not technically, he was the promoter of the show, but um, yeah. I, I, it, it was Steve's tour and, and he was in the room too because it was MSG. So it was, yeah. you know, it was well, and you know, it's funny. We used to have like, I would have artists come and of course I was like mama bear. I wanted to be protective. So one night we had Larry Mullins Jr., who's the drummer of U2, come with his son just to hang out in our room, uh, which was awesome because people felt comfortable enough and knew that nobody was going to go for a selfie or bother them. But we wanted to make the room feel as comfortable and as welcoming for the promoter, their guests, but also musicians who just happen to want to come and catch a show. So that was one of my great nights, just being a fly on the wall. Right. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking time. This has been so much fun. It's been awesome. And I'm, I'm glad that we got to do this. I can't wait to see you in person and uh, bring on the shows. Louis Jacoby right here on Promoter 101. I finally get to say that. How awesome is that? <laughs> And no strings attached. No strings to tie me down. (laughs) Finally, finally, fucking 
finally, Lori Jacoby right here on Promoter 101. It's about goddamn time, Luke. Goddamn right. What an interview, Dan. Loved hearing all the history of New York, her story. The fact that she's an Oregon duck and it, it, there's more Oregon ducks like yourself and Jason Miller out there in the world blows my mind. I mean, what a phenomenal tour of history of New York. Sure. Yeah, there are quite a few ducks. Mike Quinn from Monkey, Adam Zacks, Jason Miller, the list goes on. But it is a fun thing to, to see the ducks come to the music business. Rich musical history in Eugene. You guys have something up there that's rich. Something in the coffee. Yeah. It's weed. It's weed. <laughs> it's weed. Uh, wait, Luke, not so quick. Not so quick. There's a special guest in your house and we got to work him into the podcast. Is Joe Pierce available to talk to us on Promoter 101? This is a real Easter egg for those fans here. Let's see if Joe Pierce is around. Promoter 101 has a special treat for everybody right now. The Bottle Cap King is joining us. Luke's own father, Joe Pierce, right here for the first time ever on Promoter 101. Mr. Pierce, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, 110 years strong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you love beer. That's that, that's our topic for today, right? Beer. I love it. I love my wife, I think, most of the time. Beer, wife, you know, depending on the day of the week, you know? Sure. Exactly. All of the beers that you've sampled, is there anything in particular that isn't like so mainstream that's out there that, that you find to be a delicacy? Mm. You know, I just found one here in Nashville just recently. It's called the uh, Pecan Ale. It was pretty good. Pecan Ale, do you know? I never heard of it before until I came here and, you know, Luke uh, introduced me to it. I always kind of feel like the beer is good, but it's more about who you're having the beer with and what the scenario is. So, like, if you can find, like, Chicago, like, inside the park at Wrigley, it's going to be better no matter what because you're watching the Cubbies, right? So, it's like... What's wrong with the Mariners? You're from Seattle? No, the Mariners suck. (laughs) Yes, they do, as a matter of fact. I'm a hometown Chicago boy, so it's I, I enjoy seeing a game at Wrigley more than I, I like to see a game anywhere else. And, you know, so if you're having a beer and it's like 80 degrees out and the Cubbies are losing to whoever they're losing to that particular game, that's the best way to enjoy a beer. You probably don't remember Old Style and Hams and all the other stupid beers they used to have at that ballpark, do you? I love old style. You got to go to the fifth level to find old style in Chicago now at Wrigley because they don't, all they've got down on the level is like the mainstream, like mass distributed beers like Budweiser. You got to go all the way up to the fifth level in the nosebleeds to find it. It's hard. All right. All right. But if you go to Cubby Bear, you can get it like right on tap. So that's, that's nice and easy. But you can get a lot of other things at Cubby Bear too that are not good for you. Where are we going with this? <laughs> Some of the worst bands in the world got their start at the Cubby Bear. Bear. Well, that's, that's the truth. There's some families that got started in the Cubby Bear, bro. <laughs> I thought that's where we were going. All right. So, Luke, were you conceived at the Cubby Bear? Is that what we're learning right here? He's a Dodgers fan, so highly unlikely. <laughs> but the Dodgers do play the Cubs. So you're a Dodger fan. Maybe you can shed some light on this for us. I find the Dodger dog to be legendarily famous, but yet the worst hot dog anywhere in the world. You know, I agree with that. I don't I don't have the the love of the Dodger dog that everybody else seems to have. At, at it Dodger. is weird that it's become so famous and yet so unenjoyable. It, 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 as a matter of fact, it's one of the worst hot dogs I've ever had. <laughs> point in case. Point in case. <laughs> the best ones are at Costco, by the way. You know, I, I'm a fan of like the Chicago dog at Portillo's or Wolfie's or, or Superdog. You, you know, you go to Costco for a buck fifty nine, you can get a big drink and a hot dog, and you can die happy. Eating on a budget. <laughs> hey, 
I got kids. <laughs> you gotta love it. So how much time do you get to spend with Luke these days? Is it a long visit or are you guys just there for a couple days? Visit. We were here for like a long weekend, came down up for Memorial Weekend. We we live in Florida, so uh, we came up for a Memorial Weekend, help with some projects, you know, bond a little bit, have some good times together. Got to play a little golf, very little, but a little golf. So I'm curious, you 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 did your time in industry. You were very successful in the bottle cap field. Now that you've retired, I know you still work a little bit and you're investing a little bit, but what what is the thing when you look back at your career that was like the highlight to you, like the moves that you made that you're, you're most proud of? Hmm. I think it was the uh, people that I, I I mentored and became uh, executives in our in our corporation. So you look back at that fondly of the people that you helped influence and saw them grow. Yes, oh, without a doubt. I love I love the people side of it. Now, how did you find the world of bottle caps? How did that come to be? When I was younger, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Smith, the Smith family. They owned what was called Hoosier Crown, and uh, he invited me to join his company back many many years ago, and. Uh, that's how I got involved in making bottle caps and in the packaging industry in general. So, and then we sold the company as a private company. We sold it. Uh, Alcoa bought it. We had a plastics as well as a metal division. Then Crown Cork and Seal came in and bought the metal side of it and kept me uh, kept me moving. Did you miss it? You know, uh, no, no. no. <laughs> Love it. No, no, I was ready to retire. Uh, you know, and then uh, they talked me out of it for a couple, three more years. They bought my loyalty again, and uh, <laughs> so. But uh, you know, when I retired, everybody said you'll you'll you won't you know you'll be bored. You don't want what to do with yourself. I've never had a dull moment since. Obviously, you spend time with your children. You're doing some golfing. What else keeps you busy? Well, we tried. To, we uh, was until COVID came into play, uh, doing a lot of traveling. You know, we've gone to places like Africa. We've gone here. We've gone there. But I enjoy the travel side of it where, you know, when I worked, I traveled all the time, but I didn't get to really enjoy it. It was like meetings and dinners and, you know, it, it was work. Uh, now I'm trying to, as they say, stop and smell the roses. So uh, it's fun to it's fun to go here and there. I did a wonderful trip uh, a couple years ago, I guess, three years ago. I tried to see every baseball park in the United States in one summer. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. Did so, you pull it off? You saw them all? Well, no, I, I, I tried to. I was going to West Coast to see the balance of them, and Luke informed me he was moving to Nashville. So I ended up going back back east with him. So, But it's a beautiful way to see the United States. And I, and believe it or not, I was so sick and tired of flying, I drove to all those. Really? Yeah. That way, if you could go on to go see a national park, you wanted to uh, see a big ball of yarn, you wanted to see, you know, whatever, you did it. Uh, love, love the vacation reference right there with the ball yarn. That's amazing. I guess on the, on the East coast, you're really not driving more than like two, 300 miles between parks in most cases. Close together. What yeah. it becomes a logistics nightmare because, you know, for instance, if you're in Chicago, you think, well, I'll see the white Sox and the Cubs. Well, one of them's going to be gone. So you're going to miss them. They're, they're, so you got to time that really well. Right. So you're like picking one up like the last day and the first day and the next one. It is a scheduling nightmare. So uh, sometimes you want to, a city's close by, whether it's Pittsburgh and Cleveland, for instance, and one of them's gone. You know, you can't see them. You think you see them back to back, but you can't. So, what's the best ballpark you got to visit? What's your favorite park? Oh, boy. Well, you know, you hit one of them. Wrigley certainly is on top of the list. But I think of other new modern ballparks, Pittsburgh. And I'm not a Pirates fan. So I'm saying that it's just beautiful. 
It's absolutely gorgeous. Stayed downtown, walked across the Clemente Bridge, you know, across the Ohio or Allegheny, I guess it was, and then to the ballpark. It's just, it's just really, really pretty and small and quaint. You know, I've always been a fan of the architecture of stadiums. Football, baseball, doesn't matter. Just the architecture in some of those stadiums are so beautiful. You look at things like Coors Field in Denver that was built to look old. Yeah. And yeah. some of those older parks, like you go to Boston, and it's just like so iconic. It is. So well, Pittsburgh also is, is you're looking at, at, at night, you're looking at the skyline downtown. It's just, I mean, it just lights up. Uh, it's, it's gorgeous. If you haven't done it, do Pittsburgh sometime. Well, that's definitely one to check out and put on my list. Have you seen the new Dodger or the, excuse me, the new Yankee Stadium? Yes. Have you visited that? I have. I have. Love like, the columns out front. It's so cool. In time, I just didn't do all thirty of them that, that in that one summer like I wanted to. But I'll, I'll I'll get them all eventually. So which ones are you missing? I'm missing uh, uh, Oakland. I missed Oakland. You're and, not really missing Oakland. <laughs> yeah. But actually, Oakland's a cool stadium right on the water. You know, uh, of course, I haven't seen Seattle yet. So I was uh, that was on my way. That was on my trip when I went out west. I was going to go up north and see uh, Oakland, San Francisco, and, and Seattle. You know, and I just it just occurred to me, San Francisco's right on the water, not Oakland. So I think Luke's right. I, if I remember correctly, the A Stadium's kind of kind uh, of ghetto. The A Stadium is on the Oakland, like the East Bay side of things, but it's... It's it's yeah. a little more ghetto, though. I was thinking about this, the Giant Stadium, which is gorgeous. Yeah, the Giant Stadium's awesome. It, need, uh, it, it, need, it yeah. needs some help. Yeah. Oakland needs some help. <laughs> well, it, it hasn't changed much since Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the top, actually. <laughs> Since Jason Bianchi walked out the door, that's been about it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. And the Tampa Bay keep winning. I don't know how they're doing it, but they keep winning. Great management. It's because they keep hitting the ball. <laughs> that helps. That they helps. score more runs than the other team. It works out for them every time. <laughs> that's a formula. There you go. I never thought of that. <laughs> The beautiful thing. Well, I can't thank you enough for giving life to Mr. Pierce. Luke is just the best, and we love him dearly. <laughs> As always, great to see you. Joe Pierce, right here on Promoter 101. Take care, gang. This is Julia Frank from Wizard Promotions in Germany, and we're on Promoter 101. Let's do quote of the week. This week's quote of the week, beauty is everywhere. You only have to look to see it. Bob Ross. Luke, I thought it's been way too long that we hadn't had a Bob Ross quote incorporated into the Promoter 101 universe, and I'm thrilled we got to do that today. I'm fine if we just only quote Bob Ross in this podcast. We should just be doing that moving forward with a quote like that. Just a happy little tree and a happy little quote right there. Yeah, just right there. Happy quotes, happy trees. This is Sid Greenfag from MGM Resorts, home of T-Mobile Arena, MGM Grand Garden Arena, and Mandalay Bay Event Center, live on Promoter 101. All right, everybody, that'll do it. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 227 of Promoter 101. Thank you so much for listening to tune into this podcast to our wonderful guests from BSE Global, Lori Jacoby, from Polestar, Polestar Live, Ray Waddell. Make sure you get yourself down to whatever that bar is in Los Angeles. Find yourself a badge, get yourself a drink, see everybody in person in a couple of weeks here. Thank you to Dan and, of course, our engineer, Connor, for this amazing episode. If you like what you heard today, Today, write us at Steiny at promoter101.net. Or if you just miss us and you want to catch up, we're here for you. But thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We do it all for you. It's not about the money, it's about you. We love you. We miss you. 
We're here for you. Thank you, our dear listeners. Thank you. Hey, and Dan, now that shows are back starting to play again, we can finally say wishing you sold out shows for the months to come. Cheers! Call your mother. Hi, my name's Jay Williams from WME, and you're listening to Promoter 101.